everybody, and welcome to Explain It To Me Like I'm a 10-Year-Old. Today, I'm very lucky to have Kelly James with me. She's the founder and CEO of Mercaris, a company revolutionizing the agriculture supply chain. She graduated from American University, worked at the World Bank, and worked at the Chicago Climate Exchange. I am so excited to have her here today. Hi, Kelly. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me on, Charlie. Yeah, you're welcome. So excited to have you here. So uh, to start off the episode, I usually like to share a joke with the audience. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go first, but do you have one to share? Let's see. I think I've got one. Okay. Um, in keeping with the ag theme, what, what do you call a trendy farmer? What do you call it when you cross a trendy farmer with some really expensive headphones? I do not know. Beats by Dre. <laughs> Get it? Oh, that's clever. That's that's clever. That's very clever. I'll never make it as a stand-up comedian. <laughs> well, <laughs> so uh, I got mine is I took a picture of a field of wheat today. It came out pretty grainy. Well, <laughs> okay, nice. Okay, great. So to uh, start off the interview, my first question for you is, what does Mercaris do? So Mercaris is, um, it's a company that I co-founded almost 10 years ago. And the idea behind, uh, behind our company is really simple. It's, uh, we provide market information, we're a market data service, and we're also an online trading platform for agricultural commodities and crops that are um, organic or non-GMO or otherwise you know, produced sustainably. So market information, which is the key to any efficient market, um, things like prices or uh, statistics on supply and demand, um, all sorts of things to help people assess and understand the market itself. So like, how did you come up with the idea for Mercaris? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, my background was in commodities markets. So I had worked for a while at the Chicago Climate Exchange, as you, as you mentioned in the beginning, and it was a brand new market to let people price and track um, carbon and other, other types of environmental commodities like renewable energy and a few other things. And, um, you know, so I was already attuned to the fact that markets can't work efficiently if they don't have really good information. And I know that, uh, you know, I was walking down the supermarket one day and I saw, you know, all these products with the green and white seals that said organic and all a bunch of other labels too. And it just made me wonder like what, you know, wh where do you go for really good unbiased information about these markets? And it turned out there really was nothing out there. It was sort of very informal, like coffee shop talk amongst farmers or picking up the phone and calling around, but um, the types of really rigorous analysis that are common in every other sector of the economy were not available for these new and emerging agricultural markets. So what were the first steps that you took to start Mercaris? You know, the first thing was like working up the nerves, like quit my job and do this full time. I mean, it's definitely entrepreneurship um, requires at some point that sort of leap of faith. And, um, but I had some practical things that I did to, to get started. One, this is going to sound like really boring, but I like saved a lot of money <laughs> because I knew I'd have to go without income for a while. And I'm, I'm very fortunate I was able to do that. Um, but that was sort of the preparation for being able to leap into, into this, this world. 
Um, I also had a lot of professional contacts. And so I reached out to them and tried to get their buy-in early on because I knew those would be my first investors and customers. Um, and then at some point just becomes the day where you say like you, you say, okay, I've done all the prep work and I'm just going to launch this and let's see if it you know, sinks or swims. So that's those kind of, those things are how I laid the ground to, to do what I'm doing today. So you've, you obviously have a super unique and awesome background. So how has that prepared you for some of the challenges of being a CEO? Well, I would say, you know, use whatever is in your background to become, you know, to become an entrepreneur, to become, you know, CEO. And for my, for me, that background included things that um, everything is, as sort of as formative as, you know, I grew up in a military family. My dad was in the army. We moved all over the place. Looking back, I think that just prepared me to embrace change and be very adaptable, which are great quality for an entrepreneur. I didn't start out in like ag tech or ag finance. I actually started out, I used to ride horses professionally and um, did that. It was so much wow. fun. I did that from the time I was a little kid all the way up through um, college and even a couple years after college. And while it's not a traditional path that for an entrepreneur and certainly not a tech entrepreneneur, it was, it was just a, you know, you, it's, it becomes all embracing. You become an expert, you know, all encompassing. You become an expert in a field. You try to get to the top of that field. Um, I had to also pivot. You know, this is a f- frequent term you hear when it comes to entrepreneurs. I got injured riding and it became clear that horseback riding was not going to be my career. And so then what do you do um, if something fails and it just doesn't work out the way you thought it would? Um, well, that was a good, maybe an early life lesson in, in how to reinvent yourself and pr- pursue the next thing. Yeah. So when you, when you started Mercaris, obviously there's some great stories that other entrepreneurs have of that really like aha moment where they have that really good first big customer, mm. that customer that really cracks the case wide open. So can you tell us a story about any customers that joined the platform that made a big impact? Yeah, you know, there's there's so many of them, but I'll tell you the very first one that was like super, it was validation very early on, and that was Whole Foods. So they were actually our very first customer, and this was before they were owned by Amazon. And um, it was good signaling for a couple of reasons. One was, all right, they, you know, they're acting in so many different ingredients and commodities. And if they thought this was valuable, that was, that was a, a good sign to me that we were onto something. The other thing is it was like good signaling for the rest of the industry. You know, when an industry leader publicly embraces your work, <laughs> um, then that is, uh, you know, sometimes that brings on the, the later adopters and the mid, mid-cycle adopters to say, oh, something's going on here. If this thought leader is, is, thinks this is worthwhile, then we should take a closer look too. So I think that they were uh, a key early, early customer. And then they became a, a partner in the sense that, you know, I could go to them to ask questions. I mean, our customers are always teaching us new things. Um, and not every customer wants this role, but if you find a customer that's also willing to kind of educate you and continue to teach you, then they are super valuable. Starting a marketplace is incredibly hard. What is your advice for another entrepreneur wanting to start a marketplace? So the marketplace side, notice I spent a lot of time talking about the market information side. That is still the the core of what we do. We run a trading platform, a marketplace, but the biggest value of the marketplace is getting good price data out of it. Every time someone trades across our platform, that's information that we can use 
um, in our price reporting and, and understanding these very thin opaque markets. And I think um, for marketplaces in general, I mean, it's, it's a common business to try to start. It, you're right, it's very tough. Um, liquidity is key and liquidity is just a fancy word for can you get on the marketplace and do business quickly? You know, if there's a buyer there that's got something that wants to buy something, but no seller shows up for weeks or months, then you have a market that's kind of, you know, broken and one-sided. You need everybody, both buyers and sellers, um, coming together so that deals can get done. That's liquidity. And most markets fail for lack of liquidity. And so um, we recognized a couple things. One is that the marketplace itself is not our key revenue driver. That is selling the market information. Um, our customers would describe the marketplace to you know, buy and sell ingredients or commodities. We would describe it as a price discovery tool and we use it that way. So we, we do a couple things to try and make things, uh, make it uh, a liquid market. One is we hold a lot more auctions than we do just one-off trades. And the auctions are good because if you think about an auction in real life, everybody has to show up at the same time in order to participate in the, in the auction. The same thing comes, you know, holds true with an auction. We hold auctions, we just held a cream auction and we have buyers and sellers come to an agreed upon, an agreed upon date and time and that way, that thickens up the market and it's a, it's a greater chance of a deal getting done. So my advice for anyone starting a marketplace is just think through how you get the buyers and sellers to, to, to be active and participate and why, knowing why they participate is a, is a key part of that. So for Mercaris, in the beginning, how did you guys get your, your customers? Mm. Well, it was a lot of like shoe leather, um, honestly. It was a lot of going out, um, going to trade shows, talking to folks, uh, using the contacts that I had. Because at first we didn't have like a sales team. It was just me and my co-founder. So he was the one who wrote the code. I was the one who did the business development and um, spent a lot of time, you know, on planes at trade shows, that sort of thing. Now we have a sales team and we have a little bit more brand recognition and, and, and uh, kind of a clearly articulated value proposition. So it's turned into more of a routine type of sales pitch than, a, um, than this sort of exploratory relationship building. There's still a relationship there, but we come with a, you know, prepared with a set of, of um, unique value propositions that we communicate to the customer. And then we listen really closely to make sure, do those value propositions still hold true? Do they hold true for this customer? What's different about this customer? What's their workflow like? So it's still very much a, a you know, selling is very much a dialogue. Um, but now we have, I think, a lot more tools in the toolbox that we bring to our customers when we, when we do sell to them. So you started Mercaris about eight years ago. So you've been doing this for a long time. And I'm sure in the beginning, you faced a lot of resistance. What resistance did you face? Um, you know, it's interesting because the challenges get just get different. And I look, you know, they're, they're different. They evolve. And I look back at the things that were hard eight years ago they're different than the things that are hard now. So eight years ago, it was like the courage to even start this you know, thing. Like we, there's 15 things you could do, which one should you do first? And that was a big question, especially in the early years. Um, raising money was a challenge. And again, I relied on my network and, and early investors that, um, that were kind of willing, they were more comfortable with the type of risk that you see in an organization early on versus a little bit later stage. Um, so raising capital was, was hard. Finding talented people to join is an ongoing thing. It's one of the most important things that the CEO can do is to, to find and cultivate you know, the team. 
Um, but when you're first starting a startup and you're like, nobody knows who the heck you are, uh, it's, it's an additional challenge to get someone to join and believe in you. So those are some of the, the very first things. Now, the product itself was not, I mean, it was challenging, but it was like we, we went with the MVP, you know, emphasis on the viable part. We really, we, we came up with, even though it was version 1.0, it, it worked. It wasn't, you know, we, it, was a, it was quality stuff for, right from the beginning. What's changed is that we've gotten, been able to refine it, expand it and do more. Um, so I feel like while the product market fit was, is still an ongoing challenge, it was not, um, it was not an extraordinary one. I think, you know, it, it, it's just, it was, it was actually, it felt good of all the things that, that we were most prepared to deal with. It was the product. It was those other things like managing a team um, that were, I think, you know, those to this day remain the most you know, difficult part of a startup. So can you explain to our audience, how does the agricultural supply chain work? How do you get from buyer to seller? Okay, well, so the ag supply chain is something that most people never see. Like, you know, you just go to the grocery store, you get your groceries delivered, and it's there. Um, And it's a stunning variety. I mean, think of all the things you buy that were grown on a farm at some point. It's just um, an amazing array. So I'm going to just take one thing and talk through it, but know that there's a supply chain for each of these things from cocoa to coffee to corn. Um, They all have their own supply chain. So we'll go with organic corn. Um, That's an easy one or a good one, not maybe not easy. So of course, you know, corn is grown in certain climates. Um, In the US, uh, a lot of it is grown in the Midwest, but it doesn't have to be. It's it's one of those things that can be grown uh, a lot of places. Um, So the farmer decides, okay, I'm in the business of growing organic corn. I have, I'm in the right geography. I have the right expertise to do it. And so in the spring, you know, just depending on exactly when, let's say April, March, April, May, I plant my organic corn in the field. Um, And then I tend to it, it grows all all summer. And then I harvest it sometime in like mid to, you know, early to mid fall, again, depending on the weather and the climate where I live. I use one of those big, you know, combined harvesters to uh, collect the corn. And then I, I might store it on my farm in big, huge bins, or I might take it directly to um, the next link of the supply chain, which is often called a, a grain handler. Um, these are these big, if you drive out in the countryside and you see these big, tall silos, those are grain elevators. Those folks take the grain, they clean it, because sometimes there's you know, dirt and rocks from being in the field and whatnot. And they, um, they dry it, make sure it's nice and, and dry because it stores better if it's, if it's dry than if it's wet. And, um, and then they have a choice to make. They've bought it from the farmer, so they paid him or her. And then they take it, um, they store it, and they sell it on to the, let's say, the end user. I'm going to shorten it a little bit because there's lots of different things that corn can be used in. But one of the primary things that's used in is animal feed. So they take that corn, they grind it or crack it and put it into a feed ration that somebody gives, let's say a dairy cow. Um, they, you know, they truck it over to the farm, the dairy cow eats the corn, uh, turns it into milk for, for us. Um, and then that milk then goes to a dairy processing plant where they, again, clean the milk, bottle it and ship it out to the grocery store. So that's kind of the, you know, the story of how corn gets from the field uh, to our table in a roundabout way in the in form known as, uh, you know, as milk. So how does Mercaris play into that? Mm. So what we do is we say, hey, 
you know, organic corn is a key input cost. Every link along the supply chain needs to understand the price of organic corn. The farmer needs to understand the price because what should she sell her crop for if you don't know what the price is? The buyer who buys that corn needs to know how much am I going to pay for that corn because I got to sell it on for another price and that's my margin. You know, I buy it from the farmer, sell it on, and the difference is what I make for my own business. The dairy farmer who owns all the cows has to understand what corn costs because that's a key input cost. You know, if, you, if your feed costs go up, then what does that do to the, the margins that you receive for your organic milk? And then of course the milk processor needs, processor needs to understand because again, it's an input cost. Is that if I'm charging you know, on the grocery store shelves, if I'm getting $5 a gallon for organic milk, how much of that is profit and how much of that has gone to uh, input costs like labor and feed and what, whatnot. So it's part of an equation that carries all the way through the supply chain. Um, and in, fa in fact, it impacts us as the customer. I mean, we've all noticed rising prices on the grocery store shelves re recently. Some of that is attributable to higher costs for the inputs. And Mercaris helps, helps everyone along the supply chain understand that so they can adjust and make good decisions for their business. So what is your long-term goal for Mercaris? Oh man, we're going to rule the world. <laughs> That's our long-term goal. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, we, one of the reasons that we decided to put all our energy into organic and non-GMO and other, you know, other things that are called sustainable is because there's no bigger sector than ag in terms of the people that it touches and the importance, you know, none of everything we do. I love social media, but it doesn't matter if I don't have good food. Um, and so we thought in terms of a place where you could put your effort and have outsized impact, agriculture is a good one. Um, and then the other thing is for agriculture to both sustain us, the growing population, and also sustain you know, the planet, be a force for good in terms of environmental quality and social movement and justice, then um, organic offers some really important solutions. So it often is priced higher than conventional because it, um, it, you can't use chemical pesticides or chemical fertilizers. So it's good uh, for, for soil health and water quality and farm worker health. It's also um, good for economic justice and getting people paid a fair price. Um, and then consumers that want something where, you know, you're not ingesting chemical pesticides or residues or whatnot, um, organic can fill that need too. So we thought it was a really good way of expressing the values of um, environmental performance and sustainability, um, economic justice and performance, um, and then of course getting us all you know good food. So the bigger organics can grow, the more of those benefits we think accrue both to society and to individuals. And so we wanted to do our part in helping organic grow as, as big and as sustainable as possible. What is your vision for the agriculture industry in 20 plus years? Oh man. So I think I want agriculture to be the, the best version of itself it can be, which means um, providing opportunities um, for everyone. Um, opportunities for safe, healthy food, opportunities for, uh, you know, economically viable, um, just, um, you know, businesses. So small, a place for small, medium and large farms and agribusinesses to operate and thrive. Um, I think that, you know, agriculture itself, especially in the U.S., I'll just speak in the U.S. context here for a moment, has a very troubled history of, of racial injustice. Everything from, you know, the land that we grow crops on, which was originally indigenous land, 
um, to the people who used to grow food, which were, you know, in, in many cases, enslaved people, um, there's been a real lack of justice. And so I think, you know, agriculture has a chance to right some of those wrongs uh, in, in you know, ways large and small. And that is my hope for, for, for the ag sector while continuing to provide us all with, you know, good, safe, healthy food that, that uh, we can afford. So my final question for you today is if you could do all of it again in starting Recares, what would you change or do differently? Oh man, I would do everything except I would make make the mistakes sooner, so I had more time to learn from them. <laughs> there, there is something too that um, I never really. I always looked kind of a little bit with questioning, kind of I don't know. I kind of questioned the fail fast mantra, but now I understand like a little bit why people say that. You want to just learn as quick as you can so that you can iterate as quick as you can. And so yeah, may, I don't know that I would change my the course of my life or do. Um, make different choices as to what I'm doing, but the pace at which I'm doing it, um, if I could learn faster, um, that's, that's the way I'd, I'd change, you know, what I did, what I do. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. This was such a great interview. Thank you.